for the last few weeks, we have been walking along with Abraham in those stories in Genesis, which tell us of some of the biggest moments of his life. We began, of course, emphasizing Abraham as the man of faith, which wasn't too surprising. He's lifted up even within other parts of the scripture as an example of faith. Abraham was called from his land and his people and his father's house to go to a land that God would show him when he was at the nice young age of 75, right? He was just getting started with what God had planned for him. But we also learned that Abraham was not just a man of faith, but a man of patience because God promised him a land. We just sang an anthem about a nation. God promised that his family would become a nation, that he would have so many descendants that they would become a whole people. And he also was promised glory, that his name would be lifted up, that he would be blessed in order to be a blessing, that he would be raised up as an example uh, of character and of one blessed by God. And so faith and patience, these things that God had promised him, didn't happen immediately. They took decades from the time God called him to the time where he entered into these realities and received them on his own. It took a long time for him to go into the land and then to possess it. In fact, God revealed to him that it wouldn't be Abraham that possessed the land, but his descendants. And he didn't receive a descendant for decades later until finally God gave him the gift of Isaac, which means laughter. And then eventually... As he came into the land as a person with many tents and great possessions, as a, as a sheik, a man of great respect in that time and place, it took a while before the people came to see him as a seer of God who could speak about God and tell them the things of God and lead the people in worship. He set up altars, remember? Shechem and at Bethel and led the people in worship there. It took a while for him to go from a sheik to a seer and then eventually to be seen as a prophet. Uh, And maybe the technical sense of that word, one with whom God holds consultation as God makes decisions about things. One of the starry hosts, just like he was promised, that his descendants would be like the stars of the heaven, like the divine council, and would be a part of that. Now Abraham himself is invited in to this discussion. What does he do? In faith, as he's waiting in patience, he worships. He worships. This morning, I want us to see that Abraham reveals to us that God isn't just present with us in those moments of great promise, which evoke great faith in us, those covenant moments where God comes and says, I am promising this to you, or I have done this to you, or I will do this for you. It's not just in those moments which elicit faith in us. It's not just in the mundane realities of day-to-day life where we're just kind of waiting for, well, when is that going to show up? God also meets us, as He does Abraham in this story this morning, in those moments of great crisis and terrible suffering and confusion where we don't see how those covenant promises God has made are showing up in our present lived experience. And that passage comes to us in Genesis chapter 22, the whole chapter nearly. It's a famous passage. It's often referred to as the binding of Isaac. 
where Abraham has finally received a son, an only son, a beloved son. And now God asks him to go and to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Moment of crisis. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well to Genesis chapter 22, for this too is the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time 
from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What we have before us this morning, in some measure, is um, an example of a theodicy. It's kind of a technical word that means a defense of God's goodness and holiness in the face of a world marked by evil and suffering and death. How do you square these things? Anybody who's really paying attention is doing this implicitly all the time. We all do this in our own way in different times and places in response to different experiences that we may have. Some of us do this when we say, well, why, why, why did I lose my job? Or how is it that I've been diagnosed with this illness Um, Or why is it, God, that my life, my vision for it has not turned out in the way that I thought it would? How how do I reconcile these things? We do it personally. We we do it in a community. We do it as we look out at the world. We could think in terms of uh, the natural world, um, earthquakes and famines. And it seems like every time you turn around, there's a war or a rumor over a war. Uh, There are terrible things in the world. The world is marked by great suffering. In many ways, we are insulated from some of the worst of it, and yet we all personally have had to face suffering on our own. If you haven't, just wait. It is a part of the reality of this world. And how do we reconcile that with our knowledge of God as God has been revealed to us in Christ as a God who is good and loving and true and faithful Sort of a complicated and difficult passage, isn't it? In fact, it's one that people have wrestled with for centuries. I'm not going to pretend to just give you answers to it this morning, but I do think that as we enter into this passage today, we're offered up a way of wrestling with the passage in light of what we know of God revealed in Christ as the church has, has taught us over time which can also then be connected to our own lives and our own experiences of suffering, of terrible things, of of tragedy, and how we would walk through that. And sometimes it's really helpful not to do that in the moment, but a little bit ahead of time, so that we can enter into those moments uh, seeking to be a person of, of faith, patience, and confidence in what God has promised. Just a little bit of a heavy sermon this morning, I think, and a heavy topic. Um, And I wanted you to feel that. That's why I read a little slower today. We don't really want to imagine this scene too much. But I want you to enter into it as far as you're able. So, a couple weeks ago, I kind of gave you, sort of in short form, the basic way in which 
the church has understood this passage because sometimes we like to come to the Bible or sometimes we like to walk through experiences in our life as if we, we uh, don't have to interpret them in light of what God has shown us about himself in Jesus Christ. And at the very beginning, I want to establish that. We can't go back to this passage and read it as if we didn't really know what God has done in Jesus. Remember last week I talked about uh, typology a little bit and the way in which the church understands all of Scripture pointing towards Jesus. And we can actually take the story of Christ and understand more fully the Old Testament. So if you take this story of Abraham and Isaac and lay it beside the story of Jesus on the cross, um, it is impossible then to miss the parallels, the connections. We talked about how Isaac goes uh, at the direction of his father to Mount Moriah. Uh, They take two servants with them and a donkey with him, and then they come and they leave those behind, and then he climbs the mountain with the wood of the altar upon his back. And his father leads him up, and they go up together, a couple times that's emphasized, together to this place where then Isaac is bound to the wood of the altar until the hand of Abraham has stayed, and a ram is discovered in the thicket with his head caught in the brambles. We connected that with the story of Jesus who enters into Jerusalem by sending two disciples ahead of him to bring a donkey back to him so that he can ride it to the foot of the mountain. And then he climbs the mountain with the wood of the cross upon his back. And he is taken up and he's bound to the wood of that cross with nails piercing his hands and feet. And then he is crowned as well with brambles with thorns upon his head. We can't read the story of Abraham and Isaac anymore, the beloved son of his father, as if we don't know the story of Jesus. In fact, I think that's part of the reason it's there in the first place, so that we can enter in more fully to the story of Jesus. So you have sort of the outline of that basic typological relationship, both within Scripture, but here's the other thing, geographically as well. Moriah, God says to go to the land of Moriah. Moriah is mentioned twice in the Bible. Here, as Abraham and Isaac go, and he's bound, top the mountain. And the second place is when Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Abraham and Isaac go there far before it's Jerusalem. But then this is the place which becomes the epicenter of, of civic and religious life for the whole nation who are then descendants of Abraham and Isaac. The whole people now come and they worship God at this place. The whole temple uh, 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 place is set up right here in the same spot, same mountain. And of course, that is the same place to which Jesus comes, riding the donkey brought to him by two disciples who went with him. But then he goes on his own up the mountain and he is the one who is offered up on the same place. It's the same location. It's one thing to see how Scripture is connected like that. It's another to say, this actually happened. In all the places in the world, it could have happened in the exact same location. You can't read Abraham and Isaac with, and just set Jesus aside. We have to approach it through that lens and through that path. So, 
Typological relationships, as they're set up in Scripture, as we read them there, but also in the physicality of the location. I want to take us just a little deeper, thinking about Isaac and Abraham individually, and see if we can't push just a little further. And then I do want to talk about that location once more. So Isaac. It's a big deal in this passage. When, when I took Hebrew, uh, which I remember next to nothing about, unfortunately, um, although I was at a wedding this weekend and they had a bit of Hebrew up on, on the big piece in the front and I could read it, I was pumped. Uh, <laughs> but but when, you, when you look at the Hebrew uh, uh, in the Old Testament in this passage, we had to, in exegesis, which was our Hebrew class, we took um, sections of Genesis and translated it. And so... Uh, over and over again, it's emphasized that Isaac is the beloved son, the only son of Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's like it's just being, you know, you're, you're moving through the, 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 the pattern of the story, and there's action, and then it slows way down. Take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. God knows what he's asking of Abraham right here. Isaac is the only son. Of course, we can't read that without reading it through the lens of Jesus. Baptism last week, remembered, I guess last Saturday was the feast day of St. John the Baptist. When Jesus was baptized and was raised out of the water, the voice of the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved son. Anyone hearing that, a Jewish person hearing that, immediately thinks Isaac. We, we sort of miss it because we're not as steeped in Scripture. Isaac, oh, he's anointed, but there's a dark overtone to this in some sense. Like, there's a bit of trepidation here. The beloved son. Isaac is the only son, the beloved son of Abraham. Another thing that's emphasized in this passage, I read it twice, it frames a section of it. And so they went, the two of them, together. Twice. The two of them walked together. And so the early readers of this passage said, Abraham and Isaac, the father and the son, are going in concert. They're working together. They're on the same page. It didn't say Abraham drug Isaac. right? It didn't say Isaac ran way ahead. They go, the two of them together, side by side, with the same direction and mission uh, on the same path. The two of them together. And so they said, actually, and perhaps unbeknownst to him, Isaac is carrying out the work of a priest. He knew that they were carrying out the work of priests. They're going to offer a sacrifice. That's what priests do. Isaac didn't recognize, perhaps, that he was also, at least we think at this point, to be the victim or the sacrifice. He's wondering about that, isn't he? To carry the wood, we learn later in uh, in the text that prescribe who does what when sacrifices are offered, we learn that the priest's job is to carry the wood. Who's carrying the wood? Isaac. And so we see that he is a priest. And at the same time, the sacrifice. We can't read that without understanding it through the lens of Christ, who when he goes to the cross is both our great high priest, who offers our humanity up to the Father, and also speaks the word of the Father to us, but he is also the one who is the victim offered. The substitute, the ram caught with his head in the crown of thorns, and he stands in instead of Isaac, Jesus. 
Isaac shows us that by his priestly vocation, but also as his original, initial identity as the victim. Isaac and Abraham. Um, Abraham here is, he's got a hard job. We kind of want to avoid Abraham. That's who we're talking about, faith and patience and then confidence. We want to avoid Abraham a little bit because I think we're probably scared to actually feel what he felt or imagine what he went through. Abraham, the father of his only son, his beloved, asked to offer him up to God as a burnt sacrifice, to get up early in the morning and prepare for that, to take a three-day journey, that number three is also helpful, the three-day journey anticipating the third day, the resurrection, the, the release from death, the freedom, right? On the third day, then coming to the mountain of sacrifice and going just the father and the son walking together with the altar on his son's back, carrying the fire and the knife. Abraham, though, suspects something more is at work. He at least hopes it, right? Because he says to his two servants, stay here with the donkey. We will go and offer the sacrifice and we'll return to you. Did you catch that? But even within his hope, even within his confidence and faith, based on who God is, it's not arbitrary. It's not just, you know, straining as hard as you can to have faith that God might do something, or hoping there might be a way out. He believes that there is something at work here because he knows who God is. He's been in relationship with this God who's claimed him as his own, who's made promises that he's seen come to fruition, and who has remained faithful and promises he will do so yet again. His confidence is rooted not in his own human frailty or his emotional feelings, in times of stress or anxiety or worry, but his confidence is rooted in who God is and who he has proven himself to be. And so when Abraham goes, he says, we'll be back. But even in the face of this, there's a moment of temptation. And it comes actually from the voice of Isaac in its own subtle way. You know how we talked about the devil in the garden. Did God really say? And the devil with Jesus in the wilderness. If you are really the beloved son... A subtle question is asked here. Yeah, where's the sacrifice? I see the fire and the knife and the altar. Where's the lamb? And as Abraham responds, you, you, you imagine them walking together. You imagine him taking a moment. You imagine him wrestling with that question. I don't know what that looked like in his heart. But his response is one of faith at the end of that wrestling. God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide. A statement of, of great faith. A statement of great patience, too. Would have been, I don't know, I've, I've been looking left and right for something, right? He waits and he waits and he waits, even in the face of death. He waits in the face of suffering. He waits in the face of this doesn't look how I, how I expected it to look. He waits, confident that God will provide. And I think here's a little window for us. 
into our moments of suffering, into our moments of confusion, into the moments of our lives which we experience with, which don't square with the good and gracious and, and covenant God that we have met in Jesus Christ. Faith, patient confidence in a reality that is coming in its fullness in the future. Isaac asks a question about the present. Where's the sacrifice? How often in the present suffering moment do we want to know? Abraham responds with a statement about the future. God will provide. And so it is with us. We can experience in the moment of suffering, distress, terror, tragedy, all of those emotions, all of those questions. And yet as Christians, we have to interpret our lives in light of who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. The God who comes alongside and enters into the suffering with us and who walks up the hill for us and is bound to the wood on our behalf and does not pull himself down, but remains there even unto death. So great is his love for us. So willing is he to enter into the greatest depths of human tragedy for us. He does not pull away. He doesn't at the last moment say, wait, I don't want you to put your hands on me. Now that I know what you do to me, I'll step down. He goes all the way for us, for you. We're invited to interpret our moments of crises in light of who God's revealed himself to be in Jesus. And in that moment, in that gift of faith, we experience a bit of release. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to find the right sacrifice. We don't have to fix it ourselves. We can trust that Jesus has and that the fullness of that is coming. God will provide. Abraham leads the way to Mount Moriah. Moriah has a, a, a name which means chosen by Yahweh. You can hear the Yahweh in there at the end. Moriah is that part of the name. The first part, the chosen by Yahweh, that chosen word has some root meanings and words that kind of fit into that word as it's taken shape etymologically. And so <clears throat> chosen by Yahweh is the name of the place God tells them to go. He's reminding them that the first, I've chosen you. And I'm sending you to this place that is wrapped up and bound up sort of in your identity. Here you're going to find out something about who you are to me. <coughs> so they know this at the beginning. They're saying, okay, let's go to chosen by Yahweh. We who've been called and chosen by Yahweh. In fact, Isaac, uh, Isaac is specified. It's not Ishmael. It's Isaac who is the one who's chosen to receive the promises that God has given to Abraham. And so here we come. The two of them together, place chosen by Yahweh, which means, included in that meaning, are hints of Yahweh's the teacher. Uh, Yahweh sees. There were some others, but those are the two that jumped out at me. Words that fit into this word, Moriah. They're going to a place where they're reminded of who they are, recognizing that Yahweh is their teacher. They might have something to learn here. And that God sees them. He is not far from them. He is with them. He's watching. 
And so too, when we come to moments of crisis, that would be good to remember, right? It's like a, it's like a little Mariah for you, a little mountain where you can remember that I've been called by God in Jesus Christ, where you can remember that you belong to him, where you can remember that even in the midst of suffering, God is going to take that and not waste it. God's not visiting this, but God gives us good to come out of it. He will teach us and instruct us as we walk through this. And that God sees you in the midst of the hard and the difficult and the weighty. In the moments of pain that just don't seem to go away. God sees you. Mount Moriah is the place to which they were called. But when they left, it had a different name. Abraham renamed the spot. God will provide. Yahweh, the Lord, will provide. And so there is also hope for us that looking back, we can see in those moments of crisis, you could do this now. I promise there's something where God has been with you, seen you, taught you, led you, called you through a time of difficulty. And looking back, you can see that, oh yeah, God's provided something for me through that experience. And not just for me. And here's the thing but also for others. Who better to walk through um, a struggle with addiction than somebody who struggled with addiction? Had a conversation with a guy a few weeks ago saying, that's what really helped me. I was being led by somebody who really had been through what I was going through. Times of suffering, God sees, God instructs, God calls through, God heals, God brings Christ into the midst of it and then there's provision for you, but for others as well. And so we see that the place of great suffering for Abraham is the place where he also receives blessing. As he listens to God's voice and is simply obedient to God's voice, God sees it and God says, because of this, I bless you. It's a reiteration of the promise he's already given. He's just saying again what he's already said. I bless you, and because of that, you will bless the world. Your experiences of suffering, God gathers up into Christ and then also will bless others through them, such that you walk a road from suffering to glory, which again is simply Paul's way of talking about Jesus' path to the cross and the tomb and then the right hand of the Father. Heavy passage this morning, yes. God meets us, not just in those beautiful covenant moments of promise like at the baptism, which warm our hearts and bring tears to our eyes and result in exultant joy. He doesn't just meet us in the mundane realities while, well, we just have to learn to be patient for some things. He also meets us in the moments of crisis and Abraham invites us, ironically, to interpret them through the lens of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.